Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. heard a story the other day that I thought would interest you, and it really goes along with Psalm 46. A man writes, one day while, I, while my son Zach and I were out in the country climbing around some cliffs, he said, I heard a voice from above me yell, hey dad, catch me. I turned around to see Zach joyfully jumping off the rock straight at me. He jumped and then yelled, hey dad. I became an instant circus act, catching him. We both fell to the ground, and for a moment after I caught him, I could hardly breathe, I could hardly talk. When I found my voice again, I I gasped in exasperation, Zach, can you give me one good reason why you did that? He responded with remarkable calmness, sure, because you're my dad. His whole assurance was based on the fact that his father was trustworthy and he could live his life to the hilt because I could be trusted. He goes on to write the question that you and I should be asking, isn't that true even more for the Christian? I guess a better question would be, who are we putting our faith and trust in? Well, Pastor Ben, of course we trust God. I mean, that's why we're here on a Wednesday night. We're trusting God. I mean, that's why we're here. But, but think about this. In our lives, we often find ourselves living life without trusting God in our lives. You go, well, Pastor, I'm not sure what you mean. I mean, think about it, right? We so often say we trust God. Now, now listen, let the weight of that fill, let that weight of that fill your heart. We often say we trust God, but we live a lot of our lives like we're not really sure. I was thinking about this today as I was studying and praying and meditating and, and, and living our life going, God, I trust you, but not really sure. A lot of us could feel like that little kid in the story. We're on the cliff and we'd say, God is down there and we'd say, hey, God, catch me. But we would, we would not jump because we're really, really not sure. Do we trust, do we really trust God? And I was thinking about that and I wondered how much do we really trust the Lord? Like the dad in our story, do we feel like we can jump into the arms of God and be safe? Can we yell on the way down for our God? To catch this. And you might be here this evening going, Ben, 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 of course I trust the Lord. But let's face it. Let's be honest. There are times in our lives when we don't feel like He's even around. You ever have those in your life? And you're wondering where God is and don't feel Him and I haven't heard His voice and you wanted me to trust Him, but I haven't really walked with Him and I haven't really, you know. Church, listen, listen. So many people, so many people don't trust the Lord, but simply gamble on a little bit of his integrity. Are you tracking with me? Let, let me say that again, and I want you to feel the weight of what I just said. There's a lot of people who would claim, I'm trusting Jesus, but what they're really doing is they're gambling on a little bit of his integrity. And that's what they're gambling. You go, Ben, can you explain it just a little bit? I mean, you've got me kind of twisted here. Well, a, a story was something went something like this. Years ago, a fellow by the name of Monroe Parker was traveling through South Alabama on one of those hot, sultry Alabama days. He stopped at a watermelon stand, picked out a watermelon, and asked the proprietor how much it cost. Well, it's $1.10, he says. Parker kind of dug into his pocket, found only a dollar bill, and said, All I have is a dollar. Well, that's okay, he says. I'll trust you for it. Well, that's mighty nice of you, Parker responded. And picking up the watermelon, he started to leave. Hey, where are you going? The man behind the counter demanded. "Uh, I'm going to go outside and, and eat my watermelon. But you forgot to give me the dollar. You said you would trust me for it, Parker called back. Yeah, but I meant I would trust you for the dime. 
Mac, Parker replied, you weren't going to trust me at all. You were just going to take a 10-cent gamble on my integrity. You see, when you think about that story, I wonder how much of that resonates with our lives with God. When he calls out to trust him wholeheartedly, or are we just going, listen, I know a little bit about God. I heard a little bit about God. I've read a little bit. I've, I've, uh, whatever people post on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat, that's kind of what I feel like God is in what we're doing, churches. We're gambling a little bit of, on what we feel is his integrity. Well, see, God was nice to you, so he should be nice to me. So I'm about, I'm about 10 cents worth of trust. And I think a lot of people, are out there saying that. Well, here's the point. You ready? I believe tonight, guys, that God wants us to trust him fully, to rely on him completely. See, not just to gamble on what someone else has said about him, but to jump in full arms out, eyes closed, knowing that the God of the universe who created you is going to catch you. He's going to hold you. He's not going to let you fall. Oh, but Ben, 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 listen, what you say is great, and I agree with you, and I wish I could free fall into the arms of my God, but i got to be honest with you, I've done that sometimes, and it's hurt, and I feel like he's let me fall. But there are times in our lives, guys, when we do stumble and we do scrape our knees, but it's for another purpose and another reason. It's not that God left you and let you fall, it's he wanted to show you and he wanted to grow you up. You're looking at me like you don't believe me. How many times have we asked God for something, trusted for him, and he's not given you that, but given you something else? You're going, oh, you got me. You got me. Listen, God will always give us the change we need, not the change we want. God will always give us the change we need. When we went to Israel... This past March, it was so amazing because we got to go see the Eastern Gate, and under the Eastern Gate was called the Gate Beautiful, and it really touched my heart because I remember the story of the, the beggar on the Gate Beautiful, and he sat there, and he was begging for alms, and, and, and two disciples came by. You remember? And he was asking for change. Hey, buddy, can you spare some money? Because he probably thought, this is how I'm going to live. I'm, this is what I'm going to survive on. This is what I've got to take home. And as people went into the temple through the the gate beautiful, he'd ask, hey, I need some, help me church, some change. And what did God do? They said, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have, let me give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. See, God will not give you the change you want to give you the change you need. You see, now he's up, he's healed, he can work. And he can take care of that. See, I believe, guys, that God wants us to jump free fall and trust him. You see, I also believe that faith and trust go hand in hand like peanut butter and jelly. Faith and trust go hand in hand. You go, what do you mean? Well, what does the Bible tell us about faith? If faith and trust go hand in hand, well, the Bible tells us pretty clear. As Paul writes to the Romans, he says this in chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith cometh by how? Hearing and hearing the word of God. You hear me, church? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing what? The word of God. Why are we listening to everything else? When faith and trust comes by by studying and learning and growing in God's word. And of course, you know this. This should be... The scripture of your heart, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Isn't that a great verse? Why? Because he starts off saying, Trust the Lord with all of your heart. You guys can picture this, can't you? You can picture this on a cliff playing around. God, I'm falling. Here I come. And and knowing that he's going to catch you. He's going to catch you. Why? Because the Bible says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. With all of your heart. But pastor, 
there's some things I just don't understand. Anybody been there? Anybody been there? I just don't get it. My, I, I just, and what is, he, what is, what does the, the writer of Proverbs tell us? What does he say? And lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. You cannot acknowledge God unless you trust him. Or can you? I acknowledge God. God, you're in this. I don't trust you. God, you're, you're, you're so amazing. You're beautiful. Please help me. Please help me. Please help me. God, I promised you, but I had my fingers crossed. I don't know. Acknowledge him. Notice. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So we have both faith and trust, hand in hand. Well, that's where we find the sons of Korah, if you will. Hezekiah is writing this. The sons of Korah are given credit. It's a psalm about trusting the Lord. Now, this psalm may be, may have been birthed out, if you will, out of fear and anxiety. And I know none of you ever have fear and anxiety, right? None of you ever worry about stuff. You never worry about bills or what's going to happen or rent or whatever it might be. But they did back in the Bible, and I think this, this psalm was birthed out of that. If you're taking note, you can jot this down. This is the history behind the psalm, and it's actually found in 2 Kings chapter 18. And you want to jot that down, and you want to go back and look at it for further study. Why? Why do I need to write this down, Ben? Why do I need to take notes? Here's why. Listen, because the Bible wants us to be what he, he tells us to be Bereans, to go back and check it out. Why do I have to check it out? A couple of reasons. Number one, you're going to grow when you get in God's word for yourself. Number two, I think it's a great helpful way to to have a quiet time, don't you? Hey, let me remember. I remember what Pastor Ben said. Now I'm spending some time alone. He told me to read 2 Kings. I'm just going to read it and see how this psalm was actually birthed out of 2 Kings. That's a great idea. 2 Kings 18, I'm not going to read it for the, for the sake of it because it goes all the way to 1937, but I am going to pull out a few of these verses so you can understand the context of why the sons of Korah would write this psalm. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 13 says this, In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Jerusalem and took them. You go, what's that? Basically, here it goes again, right? Hezekiah is minding his own business. Assyria, Sennacherib says, hey, Hezekiah, let's go. You and I are going to throw down. And they come and they attack. And you can feel how that is just so much anxiety and so much fear. Guys, I was listening to a study and I can't, I can't give you specifics, so I'm just going to summarize it. But I was listening to a study on really how many years of peace the world has been, and there hasn't been that much. See, they were talking about Matthew 24. Matthew 24, where it says, right, there will be wars and rumors of wars, right? They were talking about, and, and Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled when you hear these things. He says, that's just the beginning of the birth pains, pangs, however you want to say it. It's pains. But when you look at the history of the world and how many times we've been in war and how much there's actually been peace, we've been at more at war than we have at peace. And so there's always been some sort of conflict. Well, you go, well, Ben, that stands to reason. Why? Because think about it, right? Go back in your mind to the very beginning. That's exactly what the enemy did. What did he do? He found God's only perfect creation, Adam and Eve, And he tried to deceive them, right? There was conflict. You go, well, how so? Well, you guys know the story, right? There's Eve kind of wandering off by herself. The Lord says, don't. She says, yes. And Adam's over there chasing butterflies instead of protecting his wife. And so you sin enters the world. There's conflict. And it's always been like that. And so nothing's changed in 2 Kings. It's the 14th year. There's King Hezekiah. Sennacherib says, mm-mm. He calls, basically Sennacherib calls Hezekiah out, said, we're coming to get you, man. We're coming to get you. We're coming to get you. And there's always some fear in that, is there not? Is there not? 
I'll never forget those little elementary days, if you will, junior high days, those little, those little um, outdoor fights. I'll never forget there was a time when there was a fella, and uh, we happened to get this, this just amazing, we were outside playing, and, and we had this little great game, five or six guys, seven guys playing basketball. And of course, whenever you get guys playing, there's always some roughness. And one of the guys, I'll never forget, one of the guys uh, just kind of cheap-shotted my friend. It all erupted into a big fight, a bunch of us teenagers fighting. Well, the guy who cheap-shotted my friend, you know, was so mad that he basically said he was going to go get his gang and that we were going to have a rumble at the carnival that night. And so we got our gang, that's what you want to call it. I mean, it wasn't really a gang, but we went. So we went to the carnival night, but i got to be honest with you, there was a little bit of anxiety there. And so five or six of us ended up walking over to the carnival that night and looked around waiting for him, and then we saw this guy with his dad, and we knew it was over, so he didn't bring anything there. But he called us out. He called us out. In 2 Kings chapter 18, 19 and 20, it says, Then this guy, Rabshakeh, said to, the, said to them, he says, Now say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king of Assyria, that's Sennacherib, What confidence is this in which you trust? Who are you putting your trust in? You speak of having plans of power for war, but they're just mere words. And in whom do you trust? that you rebel against me. Isn't that, the, isn't that calling him out? He's like, really? Come on, let's do this. Okay? Who do you trust in? Well, you, you, those are pretty big words for a little dude. I mean, come on, let's go. And that's what he's saying. And over in verse 20, he says, 21, he says, Now look, you are trusting in the staff of a broken reed, Egypt. Here's why. Listen to me. Whenever Israel got in trouble, instead of turning and trusting on God, they always turn and try to trust in Egypt. Egypt being a type of the world speaks applications to all of us, doesn't it? Why? Whenever we feel anxiety or, or weird or we, or we just get, or we feel like this, man, who are you trusting in? A lot of times we want to go to the world and try to, try to see if we can figure it out. God's going, I'm right here. I'm going to take care of you. And that's exactly, hey, you're going to turn to Egypt this time, guys? On which, if a man leans... It will go into the hands and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and all who trust him. He's not going to back you up. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before the Lord God in Israel? He said, you're going to trust in God? And so then Hezekiah does the only thing he needs to do. He calls upon the Lord, Second Kings chapter 19, verse 1. He says, and so it was when Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself in sackcloth, and went to the house of the Lord. Guys, here's my point. There was conflict. There was battle. This king was going after Hezekiah. And what does he do? Instead of running to the world, he runs to the Lord. You see, his, his trust is in the Lord. But we've got to stop and we've got to ask our questions. How many times do we run to the world? I'm going to call up an old friend and, and, and I'm going to pull some strings and I'm going to get some connections and I got this taken care of, okay? And, and, and we're trusting in, in what we know and who we know. Let me ask you this. How many times, guys, do we run into prayer before, before answering someone or, or taking care of something or even confronting someone? Hezekiah gives us some good applications. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run to the Lord. You see, we often find ourselves in the same trouble. No, I don't mean that a king is trying to kill you and take your gold. But really, in life, we find ourselves going through battles every day, don't we? You go, well, Ben, who's the enemy? We talked about him last week, didn't we? The enemy is, there's, there's three main enemies in our lives. You know who they are, right? You got the flesh. Anybody knows what the flesh is? The flesh rears its ugly heads at the weirdest moments. 
You could be focused on where you want to go and what you want to do, and the flesh will rise up. I don't want to do that. Who else is our enemy? You got the devil. You got the devil. So you got the flesh. You got the devil. Right? So you've got these spirit. Listen, you've got these spiritual battles that you're dealing with every day. Do you realize that, church? Do you realize as a follower of Jesus Christ, there are going to be spiritual battles every single day? And in some days you, you have a really good day and other days you're like, wow. I think it was two weeks ago we talked about our blind side. Do you remember our blind sides? It's when we can't see what's going to hit us. You know? Back in high school, I used to play football and I used to be the quarterback. And when I would go for a pass or whatever play we were running, the one place I couldn't see is back behind me. As I stepped up this way, I was hoping that this guy right here, right, what would it be? Left tackle? Left guard? Would carry my blind side. You see what I'm talking about? Because I can't see. I can see the guy coming this way, and so many times, I think that's what the Lord calls us to do, is watch each other's back, watch each other's blind sides. To, 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 to what well, you just said, Pastor, you just, what did you, you know, we're supposed to do life together. Guys, we live in such a world that if somebody says something to us, we get so offended instead of going, that's my brother and he cares for me. If I take Jeremy and I say, hey, Jeremy, listen, let's go have a cup of coffee, bro. How you doing? Here's what I see in your life, man. I love you and I see this happening. My hopes is Jeremy wouldn't, wouldn't fold his arm and go, what is wrong with you? I thought we were, you know what? You don't have any right to tell me. Don't be in my business. Get out, you know. That's not why because I'm called to do life and I would hope he would do the same for me. Because that's, I want to protect his blind side. Guys, there's battles every single day and the enemy is trying to discredit God so that we lose trust in him. How many times in your walk when you felt like you've fallen and you said, God, I trusted you, the enemy came in and goes, see, God's not there for you. See, he didn't hold you. He's not strong enough for you. The enemy comes in and he wants to do that. What was the third enemy before we moved on? See, you almost made me forget. We have the flesh, we have the devil, and the world. And the world and its systems, right? The world says, hey, look at me, I'm so pretty. Come and join me. Do you remember when we used to go out? You remember the world used to have? Remember when we used to go out? Remember when we used to have fun? Right? Remember when we were into clubs, dance? Remember? You remember? And the world's always calling you, right? And you're going, no, that's not me anymore. I think Santos said it on Sunday. That person died. Or at least he should have. Because that's what God does. God says, hey, we need to bury the old. That thing's, that thing's passed away. Oh, hold on, Pastor Ben. So you're saying that I can, I, I, I mean, I just can't. That's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when you walk with Jesus, those stuff, that stuff isn't appealing anymore. That stuff isn't appealing anymore. So the sons of Korah, in this psalm, you can write Hezekiah, you could picture Hezekiah doing it, is crying out to God and trusting and in thanksgiving. And this psalm, guys, is a great encourager for each one of us. As we approach Psalm 46, you might recognize this psalm because it was the basis for Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. Now, for some of you, are like, what's a hymn? Him was good worship music back in the day. They were honest. They were sincere. Mighty fortress is our God. If you're taking note, note with me, guys, the personal, pronoun, pro, personal pronouns throughout Psalm 46, things such as, as our and we and us. And the reason I think the writer writes the personal pronouns is because he wants to give us continual encouragement and worship. And worship. So if you're taking notes, guys, this amazing psalm is broken down into three parts. You ready? Number one, God is our tower of strength. That's going to be the first part, verses one through three. God is our river of joy. That's verses four through seven. And then God is our God. He will be glorified. That is going to be from verses nine through 11. So 
You've got God is our tower of strength. God is our river of joy. And God is our God. He will be glorified. So point number one, you guys ready? God is the tower of our strength. Look at Psalm 46, verse 1. The psalmist starts out, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Note the way the psalm starts. Many of the other psalms begin with a description of the psalmist's crisis. Oh, I'm struggling, and whatever it might be. Here, guys, in Psalm 46, the poet begins with God's provision. Isn't that the coolest thing in the world? Why? He's just praising God right off the bat. It starts with his provision. Starts with his provision. He looked up to God for help in difficult times and found it. You could say by this experience that God himself was what? Well, notice it says this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. What's the psalmist saying? He's saying, God, you are my place of refuge. As the cities of refuge protected the fugitive in Israel. That God himself was strength for his people, being strong for them and in them. And God alone was his refuge and strength and not something or someone else. That God himself was their help, not from a distance, but from a very present help. If you have a pencil handy, guys, circle the word for refuge. It's very interesting. It means a shelter, a rock of refuge. Refuge. Psalm 46, 1. He's again, he reminds us, God is our shelter. And you go, what does that mean? Well, it indicates that God is a dependable refuge for his people, a shelter from the storms. That is so encouraging. Listen, I would love to get up here, church, and say, rah, rah, everything's going to be good. Life is going to be good. It's all going to be great. You're going to have, you're not going to have any lemons. You're just going to have lemonade. It's going to be super good. Listen, you're going to have cheesecake every single day of your life. It's all going to be good, but I would be lying to you, wouldn't I? Why? Because that's not life. There are storms in life. I want to be honest with you. I love you enough to say, listen, there's going to be, there's storms in my life. There's going to be storms in your life. Why? Well, it's been said that the Christian is either what? You're either about to go into a trial, a storm. You're in the midst right now and you're going, Pastor, it's windy. It's blowing and there's lightning and thunder and I can't breathe. God, I need your help. Or you're just coming out of one and you're going, I never want to go through that again. You guys know what I'm talking about? You've been through storms in life. It's funny because just recently in the last few days, we've had some pretty major storms brew up in the middle of the night. And you equate them a little bit to life. and You're going, wow, why? Because... Because it's a beautiful day, and you're right, you're barbecuing yesterday, and you're having a good time, and everything's good, right? And you're like, man, the day's awesome, this is nice, Woo, we're getting wet, we're swimming, whatever you did, and all of a sudden you realize, there's some clouds coming in. And what do you do? Get on your phone. Looks like a storm's coming. The problem is, guys, is for, with a Christian, is that we don't have an app that shows us that a storm is coming in our lives, is it? And so there we are, having a good time, and then there's a storm. You go, how so? I read a story today that almost broke my heart, and it was a fellow by the name of Wayne. Wayne is now 65, but... Right at 50, Wayne was married to his soulmate, and he was a proud father of two wonderful sons. He had a great job, and he had a happy home, and there was nothing more than he could ever wanted. And Wayne says it took one year for everything to change. His wife passed away suddenly of cancer. Both of his sons died shortly after in separate, equally tragic circumstances. 
And this left Wayne overcome with depression. He lost his job. He lost his home. You see, that was a, that was a very real storm for Wayne. He said, I didn't expect it. And Wayne now lives and works at Calgary Drop-In and Rehab Center. And I'm, and I'm telling you this, guys, because here's the deal. When the storms of life come, I've got to ask and plead and beg with you, where's your foundation? Is your foundation built on the sand of the world or is it built on the, on the rock of God? Because the Bible says this to you and I. The rain, it falls not only on the just, not only on the unjust, but the just. I'm a believer, pastor. I'm a believer. Believers don't go through storms. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Well, you're just all doom and gloom. No, what I'm trying to tell you guys is that you're, here's what the, here's what the psalmist is saying. The psalmist is saying, there's going to be storms. Where are you calling? Where's your refuge? Where are you running into? Because the Bible says that he is, notice, a very present help in trouble. He is there with you in the midst of the storm. But let me say this to you, okay? Jot this down. He cannot work for us unless we trust him. Do you trust him? Of course I do, Pastor. Or are you just hoping that a little bit of his integrity? Okay, here I am. God, I trust you. I'm going to jump. I don't know. Should I jump? Well, God of the universe is right there. Right, you heard that. You heard that old joke, right? Here was a, it was a parachute, and he is falling down, and and as he's coming down, he he's he's going to head towards the cliffs, and he gets towards the cliffs, right? He gets the parachute, and it hits some of the branches, and he's standing there, and he's hanging, right? And he's sitting there, right? And so he cuts off the chute, and he's just holding onto some branches. He's like, oh god! So he starts crying out to God, right? God, please, please, right? And then he hears a voice. God, save me. And he hears a voice. He says, my son, this is God. Just let go. And you know what the guy says? Is there anyone else up there? Because he's afraid to trust. Is there anybody else up there to save me? Just let go. You see, Israel at this point, guys, they were, they were stressed. And Assyria was coming and, and, and was knocking on the door and said, man, we want to kill you. We want to hurt you. And, and the psalmist says, listen, I, I don't want to turn to Egypt anymore. They're not going to help me. I need to call out to the Lord. But we cannot, what? He cannot work unless we trust him. Wasn't it Matthew's gospel, chapter 13, verse 58, that said that Jesus did, he, he didn't do very mighty things, very mighty works there because of their unbelief? Well, notice the result in trusting God, verse 2. Therefore, we trust him, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, and then he goes to Selah. Notice what he's saying. Here's the results. You want to know what your result is? You want to know what's going to happen if you trust the Lord fully with all of your heart? Notice, he says, the psalmist says, listen, I'm going to not fear. I'm going to apply the logic of faith. The logic of faith. If God is a real refuge and he is our strength and he is our help, then guess what? There is no logical reason to fear even in the biggest crises, right? Why? Because the psalmist says, though the earth be removed, though the mountains fall down. I mean, you're like, are you kidding me? You can write here in verses two to three, the idea is whatever happens in this world, whatever it is, I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to be afraid. Whatever happens. 
Now catch this, guys. The earth be moved, the mountains carried away, the waters roar, the mountains shakes. The psalmist considered this the most frightening, humbling, natural phenomenon imaginable. He's painting you a picture that you're like, wow, could you imagine? It's equivalent to the book of Job. Do you remember when we studied Job? Job's minding his own business and one tragedy after another, after another, after another, after another. And it's just like, wow. But then he, he made a reason, a reasoned estimation that God was greater than them all. And the fear before these in some way, guess what? Robbed God of some of his honor. Listen, listen. What in your life is the very thing that seems to bring fear to you? What is it? What are you going through tonight that you feel like, man, I just don't feel like I can trust the living God? What is it? You see, for all of us, guys, it may not be an earthquake or it may not be mountains falling, but it is a very real thing. And it's just as frightening and just as humbling. But remember, the psalmist is encouraging you. God is greater than anything that you could ever experience. God is greater. I want you to think about something. I'm currently working on a teaching that I think is going to impact a lot of people, probably mostly me, but but I'm working on a teaching that calls the moment that faith becomes sight. You go, what does that mean? We mentioned... We mentioned that the Bible tells us that you and I as believers, we need to walk how? By faith and not by sight. Okay, we walk by faith. Ah, walk by faith, right? I mean, we're just walking by faith, not by sight. But there comes a moment when our faith actually becomes sight. Why? Because as you walk in faith, that moment you take your final breath, that faith is now going to become sight on the other side. Everything that you're walking, everything that you're thinking, everyone, everything you're believing is going to be what? Is going to be sight one day. You're going to see it. You're going to be like, I'm here. And you're going to be in heaven going, Pastor Ben was right. Wow. It's amazing. It's glorious. See, the Bible's telling you guys right now to walk by faith, to trust the Lord. Walk by faith. I can't see what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know, but I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to trust you got me in the palm of your hands. And whatever happens to me is, Father, filtered. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. When the Assyrians, guys, officially threatened Jerusalem, Isaiah told the king, don't be afraid because of the words that you heard. God is in control. And so when life threatens you, the same words apply. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God is on your side. Trust him. Trust him. If you've given your life and your heart and everything to him, trust him. Trust him. Think about this. Think about the love, the natural love that we have for our kids. Let's use kids for just our kids and our spouse, but let's use the natural love. We just love our kids, right? You love them. Would it be safe to say that you love your kids? Absolutely. Would it be safe to say you would probably lay down your life for them? Absolutely, Pastor, no doubt. And then if you have grandkids, ooh, forget that, that's over. But... If we're, if we're like the Bible says, evil, and we still have this love, how much does God want to, want to love us? You see, the Bible says that there is no darkness in him at all. There's darkness in me, is there not? There's darkness in you. Why? Because of Adam. Because of Eve. But we have this love. It's a supernatural love that God gives us. But think about God. There's no darkness, and he loves you so much. You go, I, okay, I get it. So if God loves you very, very much, so much that you were worth his son dying on the cross, a brutal death, he's going to take care of you. What in your life is preventing you from fully trusting? What is it? What is it? 
So if life threatens you, don't be afraid. God is in God is on your side. Look at point number two, guys. Uh, God is our what? Our river of joy. Now the scene shifts into the city of Jerusalem where the people are confined because the Assyrian army is camped around them. And because the Assyrian army is camped around them, guys, guess what? Water is a precious commodity there in Jerusalem. But guess what Hezekiah does? He builds an underground water system. And you can actually walk through it today. I've done it twice. It's the most amazing thing. Hezekiah goes, listen, what is the most precious commodity? It's water. And so when the Assyrians captured him, they had water coming in and nobody understood how they could survive. Now, the first year I went to Jerusalem, I walked through the water. It was really weird. The second year that we went, I'm not sure. I think they were working on it. It was cold or something. We went through the dry part. But nonetheless, I mean, it was called Hezekiah's Tunnel. Here, guess what the psalmist writes? The psalmist knew that it was God who provided the water, and he was actually the river. Look at verse 4. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her and shall be and shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged and the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Guys, there is a river whose streams shall make the city of God. The psalmist now pictured the abundant, constant provision of a river in Jerusalem. The image is significant because Jerusalem does not, in fact, have such a river, only a few small streams. One of the things we learned while we were in Jerusalem is that under the Mount of Olives is this huge water well ready to just burst forth. When Jesus returns and he sets his foot on the Mount of Olives, it's going to split open and guess what's going to happen? This huge river is just going to burst forth all through Jerusalem, all the way down to the Dead Sea. You guys with me? There's a river of life that's going to flow out of the Mount of Olives all the way down to the Dead Sea, which, by the way, won't be dead anymore. You go, why? Well, okay, let's chat for just a moment, okay? If the psalmist here is declaring to us that God is a, what, a river of joy, then we've got to ask ourselves a simple question. Is there joy in your life? Is there joy in your life? If you were to confess, your life seems more, Pastor, I've got to be honest with you, my life seems more like the Dead Sea than a river of joy, I've got to be honest with you. Oh, oh, there are times when I can be happy, I'm happy, but that, that, just, that inner peace and joy, I think that's a commodity that the enemy wants to rob you guys all the time of, of your joy. How? Through circumstances, he wants to take that joy. It's just it's it's just a crazy thing, right? And some of us we feel like the Dead Sea more than we do of this river flowing with just incredible joy. Well, Pastor, are you supposed are we supposed to be happy all the time walking around? God bless you. I'm not talking about happiness, right? Because circumstances can make us feel sad. Circumstances can make us angry. We're watching the news and there's something that just oh makes you angry, and we would call it righteous anger. But what I'm talking about is joy knowing that you are on this cliff and you're going, God, I trust you in this situation and I jumped and you caught me. How do you have true joy, church? How do you have true joy? Think about this. You ready? Overflowing joy, continual joy should be, it should be found in the life of a believer. And yet something or someone continually robs you of your joy. And he uses circumstances to do it. Let me say this to you. You ready? When you put your peace, when you find your peace and joy in anything other than God, the enemy can rob it. When your peace and joy comes only from God, then people can't, can't steal your joy based upon 
their bad attitude, or anything else. Why? Because your peace and joy comes from God. Here are some practicals, guys. I want to help you out this evening. Here are some practicals. You go, what should I do? If you're sitting here going, Ben, I really feel more like the Dead Sea, but I really want this joy, here are some practicals you can do, okay? You need to identify. Ready? Identify. That's the key word. Identify in your life what's robbing you of your joy. You go, well, like what? Or what specific sin or idol are you serving that's robbing you of your joy? We need to identify that. You need to go, oh, I get it. That, yep, that's it right there. That's, that's, that's it. And you go, what do you mean? You've heard me say this two weeks ago, right? Or last week, sorry. You heard me say this last week. That, listen, when we take something good and make it ultimate, then it becomes an idol. And idols, and, the, and they make horrible gods. And when you find your peace and joy in something that you've taken good and you've made it ultimate, it's going to rob you in your joy. So you need to identify, oh, okay, this in, this in my life is starting to rob me of my joy. I can see that. I'll tell you one area where it happens a lot, husbands and wives. When you put your spouse in a position of ultimate, it'll always rob you. Why? Because people make horrible gods. You have reversed the creative order. You have now worshipped the creature rather than the creator. Okay? So you take your husband, and here's what you want. You want the perfect husband. You want him to be only what God can be to you, and your joy is constantly robbed because he is nowhere near that. Nowhere. Oh, he's a good man, and he loves Jesus, but he's not God. Do you realize, church, how easy you can forgive your husband when he messes up when you realize that he's not God? Husbands, when you take your wives and you put them in a place of ultimate, you're always going to be disappointed. Why? Because you're constantly wanting her to be what only God can be to you. Only. And she is amazing and wonderful, and she is your best friend, but she is not God. And when you let her be your wife, and you let her be your friend, and you don't try to put her or change her, guess what? Your relationship grows. It grows. Because then she becomes your best friend versus somebody you've, you've made ultimate. So the first key is identify. What, what sin is robbing me of my joy? And you go, what's the second thing? The second thing is taking ownership of it. Taking owner. Take ownership of the sin which is causing you to lose your joy. What do you mean? Guys, it's one thing to identify, but it's a whole other thing to go, this is who I am. And I can take ownership of it because I know that Jesus, in the same way, in the same way, has saved me from it. You go, what do you mean? There's a lot of us who go, listen, I may lie once in a while, but I am not a liar. You, you, know, you ever hear that? I may lie once, I, I may steal once in a while, but I am not a thief. When you own it, you go, that's who I am. Did you tell a lie? What does that make you? Come on. When you own that, guys, you own that, you know who you are, and then therefore God goes, that's exactly who you are, and that's exactly who I died for. And so you are actually found, what? In beautiful sanctification. When we run away from it. That, listen, listen, that's why Paul's constantly telling you, right? Ephesians says, this is who you were. He starts off here, this is who you were. You were dead, peasant, trespassed, and you're like, Paul, dude, I already know who I was. Chill out. Paul's not a guy you want to invite to your barbecues, right? Paul's always telling you, dude, seriously, do you remember who you were? Yes, Paul, I remember. You remember when you were a drunkard? Remember when you, remember, you're right, and he keeps bringing it up. Why does he keep bringing it up? Not so that we live in our past, guys, so that we take ownership and we rest in Christ. If we take ownership, then our rest is in what Jesus done, not in what we can do. And so, identify Take ownership and then rest in who Christ is. Point number three God is God, He will be glorified. 
It says, come behold the works of the Lord who has made the desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot with fire. Be still and know that I am God and I will exult among the nations. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The dominant idea here, guys, in this first section of the psalm was God as a refuge and a help. But here, the emphasis shifts to what? To a consideration of the God of glory. In other words, come and see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear. He burns the shields and with fire. Notice what he says. Our God is God. Do you realize that when you go to pray, that you're speaking to the God that created you, the God who spoke universes into existence? Now, I'll tell you where the joy gets lost, and I'll tell you where we, where we listen, let's, let's shoot straight, okay? Let's shoot straight in church. Let's be, here's, where, here's where our joy gets lost, because here's what we think. We know God can do it, and everybody would give me a high, whole, hey, man. They'd be like, yes, I know God can do it. He's powerful. The same God that raised Jesus from the dead is living in me. I know it. But he won't do it for me. Well, why not, bro? Why not, sis? Man, I haven't been that good of a Christian. And I thought some bad stuff, and the other day I was tempted, and I was watching some stuff I shouldn't have been watching. And I know God can do it. I know, listen, I know that he can catch me. I know he can catch me. But, but he's not going to catch me because, because I've been a really bad boy. I've been a really bad girl. And we, and we equate our past with who God is. And, and seriously, seriously, guys, would you sit there and you'd go, God is going, okay, jump. Wait a minute. You sinned yesterday? No, I ain't catching you. He would never do that, would he? Why do you think that then? Oh, I remember back in 1987, you said, I remember you were were in the club and you said, God, if you get me out of this one, I'll serve you. And you didn't keep your promise, so fall on the ground. It's on you, man. That's not how God is. God goes, no, 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 because of my son, I'm going to catch you. I'm going to catch you. I'm going to hold you. And then, now we get a word from God himself. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I I love the idea, right? He says, be still. And a lot of us think, look, oh, be still. God is God. That's not what it means, okay? It's not that you should stop activity and stand in one place. This sense is more of an argument and opposition that you should stop and be still. This is done in recognition of God's glory. You go, you're stopped and be still because you see how glory, glory, glorious he is. And you see how big he is. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing when you get on an airplane and you're flying at 30,000 feet and you look down and you go, God, God knows everything that's going on in every single house and every single in the whole world. Isn't it amazing that you're in an airplane and you don't fly straight off into space? God's got all of that. And he says, now be still, guys, be still and know that I am God. In the midst of of your struggles, in the midst of your trials, be still, be still, be still. How should I be still? How should I be still? Here's how you know that he is God. You ready? Know that he is God. He is an absolutely and in infinitely perfect being. That's the first one. You know that. Okay. As he is God, he is so great, he is infinitely above all comprehension. In other words, we can't even think. Well, how am I supposed to live? Help me, church. We're supposed to live by faith, right? And one day your faith is going to be, you're going to see, 
your faith will become sight. But right now, you just need to trust that he is above all. He knows everything in the micro level. He knows everything in the macro level. And I know what you're thinking. Well, where did God come from? Trust the Lord. He's always been there. That's hard for me to comprehend. I know. But try breathing without him just once. See what happens. Think of your own heartbeat. Your brain is not saying, oh, it needs to be, beat, 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 please. God has created you so your heart beats automatically and blood pumps to where it pumps. He is God and all things are his own. In fact, he, or basically he, that he is God, he is worthy to be sovereign over all things and that he is God, he will be sovereign and he will act as such and that he is God, he is able to avenge himself with those who oppose his sovereignty. He's God. Let's just be still. Guys, as we move into communion, I want you to reflect on, on Psalm 1. I want you to reflect just a little bit, guys. You go, well, what's that? Well, first of all, we must run to God as our refuge. Notice what he says. Where does your strength come from? It comes from God, not you. You can muster it all you want. You can try to be as strong as you want. You know where my strength comes from? It comes from resting in God. I don't have to understand everything, but I can trust in him. Number two, you ready? Let's be soaked. Let's be soaked in the river of living waters. And to restore that joy, right? Isn't that what the psalmist said in Psalm 51.10? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation, salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will be converted to you. What does he say? Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. That's the second thing, guys. Be soaked in the joy. Number three, recognize, recognize that he is God. Just be still. When you say God's got this, do you mean it? Hey, man, how's it going? God's got this. He's got this. The Bible says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. God's got this. Whatever storm you're in, God's got this. Be still and know he's God. Father, we thank you for your word tonight, and we just get ready to partake in communion. We want to spend some time worshiping you. We want to sing to you, Lord. We want to love on you. Lord, our job and our goal is to minister to you. And some of that means, Lord, confessing. Lord, I, I've blown it this week. I've, I've just blown it, Lord. I'm, I, just, I had a fight with my wife. I had a fight with my husband. I yelled at the kids. I almost ran over the crossing guard, whatever it might be. It's not even school and you're running over crossing guards. And let's come and be soaked. Be soaked in the river of joy, his joy. Identify and take ownership and trust the Lord. And not, last but not least, guys, as you partake in communion, be still and know that he is God. Be still. Lord, we love you. We give you this time in worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.